Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, March 31st. Coming up, schools in the Kansas City area have been left scrambling as federal funding that made it easier to feed kids during the pandemic is set to expire. It's all been crazy. Supply chain's up in the air. The USDA changes have been helpful, and now they're frankly going away in one fell swoop. Plus how budget cuts and the pandemic changed life for children in Missouri foster care. But first, some headlines. Missouri Governor Mike Parson announced an end to the state government treating COVID-19 as a pandemic yesterday. Tomorrow, the state will start an endemic approach to the virus, treating it similarly to common illnesses like the flu. The state will stop universal contact tracing and individual case investigations. Parson said the response is appropriate, considering Missouri's low case rates. From the knowledge we have gained and the tools we have acquired over the past two years, The threat this virus poses has significantly diminished. Missouri will also stop its daily updates of COVID-19 data, including the number of cases and deaths, and will instead update the information on a weekly basis. Community organizations around Kansas City held a press conference yesterday to call for a federal civil rights investigation into the Kansas City Police Department. The conference came on the heels of an investigation by the Kansas City Star, which uncovered a pattern of discrimination and racist abuse toward black officers in the department. Gwen Grant of the Urban League says she's disappointed the Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners has failed to respond to the report. One would think that at some point they would make a statement at least saying that the report was unsettling, that they do not support racism and discrimination. Grant says the group will continue to demand local control of the KCPD. The Kansas City Police Department has settled another lawsuit alleging its officers used excessive force against a black teenager, Steve Vakrat reports. The Kansas City Police Department will pay Demetrius Taylor $325,000 to settle a lawsuit that he filed against three officers last year. Taylor was 17 years old in October of 2019 when he alleged that two police officers pulled him out of his parked car, punched him repeatedly, and tased him. Taylor said in his lawsuit that he was not a resisting arrest and that the officers were not responding to any complaint against him. The Kansas City Star reported that the settlement to Taylor is the police department's third payout to resolve incidents involving a black teenager during this year alone. The newspaper said that those three payouts amounted to a combined $1.3 million. Schools around Kansas City have been able to provide meals to thousands of children for free, regardless of their family's income, thanks to federal legislation passed during the pandemic. Now Congress may let those waivers expire, taking away a resource from many families still struggling financially. KCUR's Jody Fortino reports. Inside Central Middle School, employees are in the cafeteria piling hundreds of meals onto trays. On the menu today is a choice of hamburger or a peanut butter jelly sandwich. It's just a fraction of the more than 10,000 lunches that Kansas City Public Schools provides in a single afternoon, at no cost to families. Such an operation is a feat in normal times, but during the pandemic, it's only gotten harder to serve all these students every single day. 
Across the country, school nutrition services are coping with rising food costs, supply chain disruptions, and staff shortages. In March 2020, Congress gave the USDA the authority to grant waivers, making it easier for schools to feed kids. But those waivers are set to expire at the end of June because lawmakers left them out of the latest federal spending bill. It's all been crazy. That's Brian Weir, Director of Child Nutrition for KCPS. Supply chain's up in the air. The USDA changes have been helpful, and now they're frankly going away in one fell swoop. When COVID forced schools to close their doors, the USDA was able to boost reimbursement rates and waive requirements that limited feeding students in congregate settings and at certain times. As a result, districts could provide meals to children even while they were learning from home, and while some families were dealing with extraordinary financial stress. Weir said one waiver allows Kansas City schools to make menu substitutions when their supplier isn't able to deliver a food item, or if it costs too much to order that week. When that flexibility ends, Weir said the school district could be fined for not meeting national nutrition standards, even if it's due to no fault of their own. If we can't get a certain food item, and then therefore we're out of compliance because the waiver doesn't currently exist because we're still in a state of shock with the supply chain, I could be held financially liable. But there's even more at stake with the federal waivers. Normally for a student to qualify for free lunches, the USDA sets an income cap of $34,000 a year for a family of four. Now Kansas City schools could already provide free universal meals to students thanks to another federal program. But since the start of the pandemic, federal waivers have allowed all districts to offer free meals to all students, regardless of income. Grace Liss, director of food services at the Shawnee Mission School District, said the benefit to families was huge. In February, the district was serving about 900 more breakfasts and 3,000 more lunches a day compared to before the pandemic. Liz said the district's families still need that extra support. Families' budgets are going to be hit right now, you know, with the higher fuel costs. What they're paying in the grocery store is going to be going up. And so they still need relief in the form of free school meals. If the federal waivers aren't extended, it won't just impact the school year. It could also hurt organizations that provide summer meals to kids. For Harvester's Community Network, the region's largest food bank supplier, the waivers allowed them to set up more distribution sites outside of specific low-income neighborhoods. Karen Siebert, an advocacy and public policy advisor at Harvester's, said she worries especially about families that make just enough to not qualify for free lunches, but still struggle to afford their food bills. That's the group that I think we're most concerned about that we'll end up seeing at our local food pantries coming to us for help when those resources are no longer there. The Food Research Action Center, a national advocacy organization, says they're urging Congress to extend the USDA's authority to issue these waivers for another year. Program Director Crystal Fitzsimons says lawmakers need to put that extension in the next bill they pass. This isn't the recovery year that we thought it would be. We need another year to recover. As of right now, however, that relief is anything but guaranteed. Liz at the Shawnee Mission School District says she fears that come August, parents won't know or understand why their kids lost the free meals they've come to depend on. I really wish parents were educated on how we are funded and that they would be talking to their congressmen and asking them to still provide relief because parents, families are going to need it. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Jody Fortino. Thank you.
The COVID-19 pandemic placed even more strain on an already stressed out foster care system in Missouri, delaying court dates and opportunities for social workers to check up on foster kids. Then in the summer of 2020, the state announced it would cut 200 jobs from the Department of Social Services, which oversees the state's foster system. Angie Blummel, president and CEO of nonprofit Jackson County Court-Appointed Special Advocates, says the loss of talent has had a big impact on the system and the kids who rely on it. KCUR's Danny Alexander spoke to Blummel on Up to Date. So what exactly were the concerns back in 2020 when the job cuts were announced? Sure. So with the dramatic cuts in 2020, we were concerned that children uh, would not receive the services that they needed while in foster care. Uh, Much needed services like counseling, medical services, educational services. So the lack of uh, experienced workers really concerned us that children would spend more time in foster care uh, because of the you know, the cuts. Oh, do you know whether all the cuts in the children's division were caseworkers or were there like administrative staff or anything like that? That's a great question. What we experienced and what we saw, a lot of program managers, people at the supervisory level, which is concerning because these are folks with the most experience and and knowledge, uh, as well as, you know, these are supervisors that are supervising perhaps new uh, caseworkers and social workers that are part of the department. So, Uh, We saw, you know, long tenured people leaving the organization. And this happened as things were uh, closed down due to COVID and there were already fears that reporting of abuse would drop. Why was that? Sure. So we were concerned that reporting of abuse would drop because kids were not out in the community. They weren't uh, at school being seen by teachers. Uh, They weren't, you know, attending regular uh, medical appointments and being seen by doctors and nurses, you know, mandated reporters in the community who take notice of signs of abuse or neglect. So with no school, daycare, or summer programs, mm-hmm. kids were possibly stuck at home, which could be where abuse and neglect were happening. Was there any way to check on these family situations? I think, you know, one thing that I was heartened by during the pandemic is the the community response and people really looking out for one another. And certainly that would count for our kids too. Uh, you know, there's a saying, in child abuse and neglect, if you see something, say something. And we saw neighbors and community members um, step up and uh, potentially report problems. Now, the cost of volunteers are appointed through the courts, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. That's um, right. So they're not the same as caseworkers necessarily from the children's division. So were the cost of volunteers able to do anything in this interim time? So Jackson County CASA is a nonprofit organization that exists to serve as a child's voice in family court. Uh, So we are there to regularly visit the children that we are appointed to make sure that they have everything they need really to serve as their voice and representative in family court. So our volunteers were really able to step up and, uh, you know, be that squeaky wheel and say, this child needs services. This child needs, uh, you know, a bed. This this kiddo needs medical attention. Um, so I'm so grateful to our CASA volunteers and staff who really stepped into uh, that void to ensure that no kids fell through the cracks. But our job was made more difficult by the fact that, you know, there were so many um, experienced and excellent caseworkers from the state moving on. Uh, you know, the, the turnover uh, at the time was reported as high as 80 percent. Now, um, you know, we're looking at 
darn near 100% in, in 2022. And when you have lack of, of experienced and qualified professionals who are responsible for uh, the care and custody of kids in our state, that's very problematic. And, you know, even in a very strong nonprofit like Jackson County Casa, you know, to step in and, and fill the void is, uh, it was a strain. So you alluded to this earlier about um, caseworkers and the Kansas City Star did a story earlier this month about two investigators who left the division because the workload became unmanageable. Um, are you aware of any move on the part of the state to use federal or state funds to bring the numbers of caseworkers back up? Yes, I've seen... Um, uh, recently, there was a hiring event here in Jackson County. There has been an increase in uh, salaries of, of state workers, and um, I'm hearing positive things about the new leader at Children's Division, who is a former judge um, and very familiar with the child welfare system and uh, court-appointed special advocate programs and how helpful they can be to this situation. And that brings me to, are there solutions to the crisis yeah. of this understaffed and overworked children's division? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, number one, I just want to encourage anybody that's considering a career uh, in, in social work, uh, to, to it's extremely valuable. Please do, especially so, social workers of color, um, so that the kids that we serve see themselves represented in those who serve them. But also, you know, at the local level, consider becoming a court-appointed special advocate. We are the volunteer uh, advocate that are there for the kids. And we are very often one constant throughout that child's life as they are in the child welfare system. If caseworkers or placement providers or medical providers turn over, that CASA volunteer, you know, walks alongside the kiddo throughout their time in care. That was KCUR's Danny Alexander speaking to Jackson County CASA president and CEO Angie Blummel on Up to Date. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more Missouri, Kansas, and Kansas City news from your local NPR station, visit kcur.org. Tomorrow, we'll get a look at Kansas City's upcoming school board elections. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.